Lord God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you uh, for the confession that we can consider right truths about you, who you are, what you have done, what you continue to do, what you will always do as the Lord, the sovereign God over all. I pray, Lord, that we would uh, uh, think much of you this morning. We'd have a big picture of who you are and rightly think of ourselves uh, as the small creation that we are. I pray this in your name. Amen. All right. So, yeah, we're in chapter 2 of the Confession. This is Of God and the Holy Trinity. Uh, we will do the whole chapter today. Don't forget, the, the one that we're working out of is uh, this little black paperback copy of the Confession. Um, and a few things just to remember, uh, like most of uh, the confession, most, most chapters, what you'll see, and I want to point this out now so you see it when we're reading through, uh, but most chapters of the confession, the first paragraph in the chapter is kind of a summation, and it's going to explain, it's, or it'll say a lot, and then as you move through, the preceding chapters are going to break down specifics and they pull out an idea or a phrase, and then they'll kind of expound on that and uh, and give some specifics to that <clears throat> that initial definition. Um, and then another thing to remember is we are to read our confessions horizontally. So if you have your confession, listen to uh, uh, chapter 27 is of the communion of saints. This is the beginning of paragraph two. Saints by profession are bound to maintain and holy fellowship and communion in the worship of God. Okay? What, what we mean when we say read your confession horizontally is when it says in the worship of God, when it says God, the, the full context of chapter 2 is to be put into that, that name there of God in, in uh, chapter 27. That's what it means to read horizontally. You're keeping everything influencing it, the others, okay? Um, the other thing is there's a number of differences between this and the Westminster, um, not so much with the Savoy, but with the Westminster, and uh, similar to the last uh, chapter on, on Scripture, it really is just more expounding specific phrases, and it's just kind of the benefit of the Baptists wrote theirs last, and so they were able to say, well, we're going to say this just a little bit better, a little more clearly, and, uh, and so they, they did that. Um, I think of like uh, the Gospel of Mark. It's real fast. It's choppy. Everything's happening immediately. And then all the other authors look at Mark and they say, that's great. Now let me say this a lot more beautifully. So anyways, so let's go ahead and jump in. <clears throat> Starting with paragraph one. And here we're seeing uh, simply the attributes of God. Okay. The Lord our God is but one only living and true God, whose subsistence is in and of himself, infinite in being and perfection, whose essence cannot be comprehended by any but himself, a most pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts, or passions, or who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, who is immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, every way infinite, most holy, most wise, most free, 
most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will for his own glory, most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, the rewarder of them that diligently seek him, and withal most just and terrible in his judgments, hating all sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty. All right, let's stop there and, uh, and just consider, because again, remember, it's a summation of, of, uh, of God, and, and we're going to get into some of the specifics, like the Trinity, but um, there's so much here. Um, so I want to break it down a little bit to help us just categorize some of this. Um, the very opening of this, right? The Lord our God is but one only living and true God. This is the singularity, right? There is only one God. Um, he is independent. He is, uh, his self-existence or his aseity, right? It says whose subsistence is in and of himself, infinite in being and perfection, whose essence cannot be comprehended by any but himself. And then you have this, uh, really just this incredible uh, incomprehensibility, right? Or this mystery of God. Uh, and, and also speaking of him spiritually, he is a most pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts, or passions, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto. And then he is infinite. Uh, the, this immutability, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, all of these things, it says every way infinite. Uh, they're all speaking to that one, uh, the one God who is infinite in all that he is. Uh, it's really, it's, it's just, uh, it's humbling, but it's a good, enjoyable thing to think about. Uh, there are a lot of different choices we could make in life that would change drastically what our lives looked like. And the Lord knew all of those choices, and he knew all of the ramifications of those choices, and he knew all of the eternal consequences of those choices. He, he, he knows all. He knows all that has, and he knows all that hasn't taken place. He is sovereign, uh, and this is really helpful for us as we're thinking, because we talk about, especially in, <clears throat> in Reformed groups, and I think rightly so, we, we are always talking about God's sovereignty, right? God is sovereign over uh, this, he is sovereign over this hard conversation I had with a family member, right? He is sovereign. And, and so what does that mean then for us to say he is sovereign? Well, the confession's helpful here. It's, uh, it's, we, we're seeing the extent of his sovereignty. Look, it says working all things, right? The extent, so it's everything. And then the rule of his sovereignty. It's according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will. And what, for what aim? What's the, what's the goal of the sovereignty of God is for his own glory. Everything is done for his own glory. So if you're talking about God being sovereign over something, but it, it has a, a uh, different extent, or it's not according to uh, the counsel of God's own will, or it has a different goal, then you're talking about a different God and a different understanding of sovereignty. Okay? So it's just helpful for us really narrowing down what we're saying when we're, we, we say the same things over and over, and we can kind of lose that, that definition. So he is, he is sovereign. <clears throat> and then he is love, right? Um, 
what does it mean to say that God is love? Well, he is most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And that is huge when we consider uh, the end of this this chapter, or uh, this paragraph, I should say. Um, he forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Um, and to understand that in light of the end that says, hating all sin and who will by no means clear the guilty, right? There, there has to be an explanation for those two being in the same paragraph together. And it's, it's a beautiful explanation. It's God. Um, and then lastly, he's just, right? So we have uh, him rewarding those who seek him diligently, uh, but also punishing the guilty, uh, being just in doing both. So it's important for us to regularly be reminded of who God is uh, because we desperately need a God that is this, right? Can't be a God of our own making. It must be a God according to who he is, how he's revealed himself in Scripture. Okay. Uh, let's look at paragraph two. Uh, this is going to be the relations of God, uh, specifically how does God then relate to his creatures, his creation? What does that look like? Uh, now having seen a little bit more clearly who he is. Chapter 2, paragraph 2, God having all life, glory, goodness, and blessedness, or, or blessedness, in and of himself, is alone in and unto himself all sufficient, not standing in need of any creature which he hath made, nor deriving any glory from them, but only manifesting his own glory in by, unto, and upon them. He is the alone fountain of all being, of whom, through whom, and to whom are all things. And he hath most sovereign dominion over all creatures to do by them, for them, or upon them, whatsoever himself pleaseth. In his sight all things are open and manifest. His knowledge is infinite, infallible, and independent upon the creature. So as nothing is to him contingent or uncertain, he is most holy in all his counsels, in all his works, and in all his commands. To him is due from angels and men whatsoever worship, service, or obedience. As creatures they owe unto the creator, and whatever he is further pleased to require of them. All right. So we are, are seeing... Uh, some, some like attributes being reiterated and again expounded on because now we're talking about not just who is God, but who is God as he relates to his creation, okay? So uh, he is self-sufficient. He is independent from his creatures, okay? God having all life, glory, goodness, blessedness in and of himself alone. Uh, he is all-sufficient. Um, and then it says... Uh, uh, not standing in need of any creature which he hath made, nor deriving any glory from them. That, that is a good thing for us to just spend some time just meditating on and just chewing on. What, what does it mean that God does not, he does not derive glory from us, okay? That is, that is a great thing. Uh, Job 22, verse 2 says, Can a man be profitable to God? Surely he who is wise is profitable to himself. Is it any pleasure to the Almighty if you are in the right? Or is it gain to him if you make your ways blameless? 
We are not adding anything to God, in, even in our righteousness, right? That is how, uh, again, sovereign in a right way, he is sovereign over all things, but he is independent from us. He does not need us. Um, but he does exercise a sovereign dominion over us, over all of creation. He alone, he is the alone fountain of all being, all existence comes from him, uh, through whom, of whom, through whom, and to whom are all things. Um, if you look at, uh, in paragraph one, it says, you'll see that at the, let's see, where is that? have made a note. Um, All right, about halfway through paragraph one, most wise, and you see most free, most absolute, most free. Okay, you just pull most free. What does that mean to say that God is most free? This is what it is. He is is free to exercise over all creation to do by them, for them, or upon them whatsoever himself pleases. He is free to do that. So that helps us as we're, you're almost backfilling definitions now. Uh, his absolute knowledge of them, right? There, there's nothing that's happening outside of his sight in his creation. He sees all, he knows all. That's why it says, in his sight, all things are open and manifest. His knowledge is infinite and infallible. Same things that were said in paragraph one, now being talked about in light of his creation. Uh, what does this mean for us is uh, we cannot hide our sinful hearts from the Lord, uh, and the unbeliever cannot flee him, right? Uh, he is just. He will bring judgment, terrible judgment. Um, <clears throat> then there's this, this utter, uh, what, what one theologian says, an utter sanctity before them, before creation. And that is where we're talking about his holiness. He is most holy in all his counsels, in all his works, and in all his commands. Uh, we worship God according to who he is and how he commands us to worship, not how we think is best, and, uh, and we are to then live holy lives as he is holy. His intrinsic uh, claim upon us as creatures is most seen in that end there, to him is due, is owed, right, to him from angels and men whatsoever worship, service, or obedience as creatures they owe unto the creator, and whatever he is further pleased to require of them. Uh, this was a very helpful paragraph for me as I was thinking through, uh, encourage, should I encourage a child to pray? So I was thinking more in light of my own kids, but there are other kids here at the church. Should, should children pray, and should we encourage them? And, and initially my thought was, uh, well, if the Lord doesn't hear their prayers because they're not believers, then uh, I should discourage them because it's an insult and, and it's offensive to the Lord. Um, and that this is a, such a helpful thing to recognize, well, no, they're actually, they owe the Lord, the Lord prayers. Even in their unrepentant state, they, they owe uh, asking things of God because that's the only person they could ask something of uh, in that fullest sense. And so, uh, so yeah, uh, encourage your children to pray. Now, corporate prayer, that's a, that's a different scenario, right? There's a leading in prayer there um, of the saints, but, but um but your children owe prayer to the Lord. They owe thanksgiving. They owe adoration. They owe uh, supplication uh, to God. All, all creation does, angels and men. <clears throat> okay, uh, and then last paragraph is paragraph three. So let's... 
In this divine and infinite being, there are three subsistences, the Father, the Word or Son, and Holy Spirit, of one substance, power, and eternity, each having the whole divine essence, yet the essence undivided. The Father is of none, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father, the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son, all infinite, without beginning, therefore but one God, who is not to be divided in nature and being, but distinguished by several peculiar relative properties and personal relations, which doctrine of the Trinity is the foundation of all our communion with God and comfortable dependence on him. You guys hear how very careful that is worded. Uh, that, is, that is for security's sake. Um, so... Uh, This, this paragraph, I was just pulling up the comparison. This paragraph is most different from the Westminster, but again, it's not because there's any disagreement with, uh, with Presbyterian brothers and sisters. It's because we, we just get to expound that much more on what they, they first state. Um, but uh, what's interesting about this paragraph, I, I found it interesting, is um, the, uh, the, the second London if you compare that with the Savoy and the Westminster and actually the first London, this, this, this paragraph is mostly made up of parts from each one of those. And, and so they really build it together and they're able to give a very, very detailed, specific uh, paragraph here. And you want to. You want to be so careful when you're talking about the Trinity. Um, so we first have the, the affirmation of the triune God, right? The unity of the three persons in this divine and infinite being that we've just been talking about and considering who he is, how he, he relates to his creatures. There are three subsistences, right, persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, they are one substance, power, and eternity, each having the whole divine essence, yet the essence undivided. The distinctions between the three persons, right, we, we know there's distinction. This is the, the uh, and this is, this is uh, just straight, uh, Nicene language. Uh, this is the Nicene Creed uh, yeah, differentiating the, between the three persons. The Father is of none, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father, and the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son. So again, uh, if you remember from last week, when we start talking about creeds and the language from creeds, you step outside of those, you're stepping outside of orthodoxy. It's different than a confession, okay? So when this, this language is put in here, though it's in our confession, and that's a good thing, um, this is one of those, those places where you don't step outside of this, right? The Father is of none, the Son uh, is eternally begotten, and then the Holy Spirit proceeds from both. Um, we're then given this explanation in, uh, in paragraph three. Uh, again, harping back to a lot of the same language from the first paragraph, expanded on the second, all infant, infinite, without beginning, therefore but one God, who is not to be divided in nature and being, but distinguished by several peculiar relative properties and personal relations. Uh, so again, remember uh, the way this whole chapter started out, the Lord our God is but one only living and true God. 
And what paragraph three here is it's grabbing that sentence and it's zooming way in and saying, all right, what is that? What does that look like? According to scripture, there's a, there's a trinity here. And then, then how is, as the, the confession says, which doctrine of the trinity is the foundation of all our communion with God and comfortable dependence on him? So how is the trinity relevant to us then? It doesn't seem like just some far off doctrine that's just to be known. How is the Trinity actually helpful for us? And, uh, and uh, one of the commentators on the confession, Sam Waldron specifically said, I like the way he worded this, the Father is not known without the Son. We are only saved by faith in Christ, and there is no salvation without the work of the Spirit. Okay, The Father is not known without the Son. We are only saved by faith in Christ, and there is no salvation without the work of the Spirit. You see how foundational the Trinity is in these, really, these building blocks of Christianity. Uh, what does it mean for us to know the Father, to be saved, and, and the sealing with the Spirit? Um, so, very helpful, very uh, even practical. Uh, it's not just some confusing thing that we, we need to, we need to uh, explain, right? Notice that this paragraph does not try to explain the mystery of the Trinity. It's just expressing it. And then it's bringing over uh, uh, how, how is this helpful for us in our Christian life. So um, we've got a, a couple minutes. I wanted to end uh, with this passage. It's such an encouraging um, passage of Scripture, and I thought it, it just uh, really just kind of is a great way of finishing a, uh, such a large, such a weighty chapter of our confession. Isaiah 40, starting in verse 18, says, to whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? An idol, a craftsman crafts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it for silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a, a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Um, that's all I'll read for that, but, but Isaiah 40 is just a really sweet chapter and just makes us feel just very created very small in light of a, an immense eternal God. So that's chapter two of God and the Holy Trinity. Uh, we do have a, a few minutes for questions or just some, some uh, comments if there's anything that would be helpful. So anybody have anything? The triunity of God. Yeah, in fact, it's so good that I'd say most of the people in this room affirm it. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, R2 in the, in the New 
Good. For those who don't know, the, the New Hampshire is what mem new members, or just, I should say, members are required, right? Members are not required to, to submit fully to the confession, but the New Hampshire is, uh, is a, 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 a basic enough uh, affirmation that's required for membership here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so back in paragraph. It's just like ingrained, like, oh, I create all the separate That's right. This, that, and the other. So I just, like, my. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And maybe there's more clarification that's needed. So that's back in paragraph two, and specifically the relationship of God to his creation. So uh, God having all life, glory, Goodness, blessedness in and of himself is alone in and unto himself, all sufficient. So already all glory is in him and of him. Not standing in need of any creature which he has made, nor deriving any glory from them, but only manifesting his own glory in, by, unto, and upon them. And so uh, when you're stepping back and considering the sovereign hand of the Lord and everything, uh, from our our created perspective, uh, we we do righteous deeds by faith to the glory of God, right? And that's right for us to think that way. We we should because we only can, right? We are to, we are to move in faithfulness to the glory of God. And yet, the Lord knowing and and sovereignly ordaining all that will take place is is uh, using both the the righteous and the unrighteous acts of all, all creation for his own glory, right? And so there, that way, it's, it's being really careful to make clear that we are not adding glory to God, but in our act of righteousness, the Lord is glorified in that because he's ordained that that would take place. And then in the, uh, um, it's, it's, it's making safe the idea that there could ever be any glory given or attributed anywhere to anything else other than God, right? So even in uh, uh, the uh, an unbeliever who is adamant that they will not glorify and worship the Lord, the Lord is still glorifying himself in that as he's either uh, casting them off, right, into, into a, a sure judgment, or in his, in the case of Paul, or Saul to Paul, right, in his amazing work of redemption in their life, um, 
he's always going to be glorified regardless of what's happening in, in creation. Is that, is that helpful? Yeah. Nick. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, and this is going to be, as I said, if we're reading this horizontally, we're going to get into saving faith, right? And, uh, and the person and work of Christ. Um, and so that, that, uh, that phrase is specifically, uh, or I should say the support text is coming out of Exodus 34. You guys can see if you have this copy, it's got the, the proof text there um, or the supporting text. But uh, that's right. Yeah, he's he's uh, he has to bring bring about justice because he is perfectly and, and internally just. And so um, he, he he in his clearing of the guilty, he does not clear the guilty by right uh, for, forgetting or forgetting uh, for forgetting or forgiving sins in and of themselves. He does it by executing his justice on Christ uh, at the cross, and that's how. That's how we are both, it says, uh, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. That's for the believer, right, in Christ. And yet will by no means clear the guilty so those who are not in Christ. The, the, the due just judgment does still fall on them. So, yep. Does that, does that answer your question? Yeah. And that's a point that a lot of Christians don't understand. A lot of the, you know, just nominal Christians about the right judgment of sin by God and it's good for them to hear that God does not clear the guilty uh, God God perfectly accounts for all sin uh, it's just that the, the, the believer flies to the cross uh, and has his sin taken care of there so it's a really uh, really useful paradigm to discuss with, with Christians sometimes because they, uh, a lot of them don't hear enough from their, their, their churches about um, God's just judgment of all sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very much. Yeah, and, oh, sure, go ahead. Yeah, and it's good to think about that. Yeah. yeah, do think about that in the legal sense because that's what what's happening there. When you're talking about uh, propitiation and a mediator, right? Those are those are legal terms, so it's good. Yeah, the other side of that is um, we have to be very careful, and and it's such a, a comforting thing um, when we are in when we when we uh, are suffering. 
um, we can be guilty of thinking this is the Lord judging me because of something I've I've done maybe recently or um, maybe I'm, I sinned in a significant way in my past and the Lord is judging me for this now. But if you're in Christ, in this sense of judgment, it, that is not the case, right? That, that judgment was, was put on Christ. You, you're suffering consequences, right? And you're feeling the brokenness of a sinful world, but you're not suffering judgment because all of that was spent on Christ on the cross, right? So we need to remember that. Uh, it's very important. We are redeemed uh, we are righteous in the eyes of the Lord. Yeah. Okay, then let us uh, let's close in prayer, and then uh, just remember um, uh, that for the, I, I meant to say this at the beginning, but for the the kids Sunday school in there, um, one thing we're we're encouraging is every now and then, not every week, but maybe once a month, uh, if you have kids back there, go sit with them back there. Um, as a way of encouraging them, but also Shane is using uh, using parents as part of that by way of praying and even just logistically helping kind of hand out things and quiet down others. So, um, yeah, and then also when we when we dismiss, keep your eye on that because he's waiting for parents to come back and get their kids. Okay. So, uh, so let's pray. Father, I thank you for your spirit in us uh, that is illuminating scripture for us, leading us and guiding us to know you better, to see you rightly for who you are, not what we can in our minds conceive and and reason to. Um, I thank you that even in in a mysterious uh, language used where we can't fully understand or comprehend, we can humbly rest knowing that you are good and you are just. I thank you for Christ, our, our salvation uh, that comes from him. Thank you for calling us to yourself before the foundations of the earth. I pray, Lord, that we would do all for your glory. We would pursue the righteous life you've called us to live, uh, whether that is in suffering or in ease. Uh, we would be faithful to the life you've given us. I pray for our morning now as we turn to worship you uh, in in this service, as we hear your word preached and sang and, uh, and prayed, Lord, uh, that our hearts would be attentive, uh, that we would not be distracted by ourselves, our own thoughts, our own passions, the busyness of the weeks, but that we would uh, rest in and, and come uh, humbly to uh, your word. I pray this in your name. Amen.